So the title of the sermon today is Runaway. Runaway. And we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon. Uh, that's a small book. It's actually Paul's shortest letter that's contained in the Bible, but it really packs a punch. So if you want to turn to Philemon, uh, I was talking about Philemon a few weeks ago. I was up on the stage and uh, trying to find it in my Bible because it's one page. Uh, so, uh, you know, do your best or use a phone and that's a little bit easier. Um, but Philemon as well will be this morning. And if you Google the word runaway, you'll find very quickly that there are over 80 songs by different artists that have topped the charts at some time or another or gotten close called Runaway. There's something romantic and something enticing about leaving everything behind and just heading out and not turning back. I'm sure many of you have probably felt that way at a job at some point, right? Like, I'm getting out of here. Uh, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm going to walk out. I ain't coming back. Or maybe you're that kid that used to uh, get a stick and tie a handkerchief and stuff some uh, sandwiches in the back and head down the road and say, all right, Mom, I know I'm only seven years old, but I'm on my own now. I'm moving out. Maybe that was you. But we soon find out, every time we run away, we soon find out that our problems are not just around us. They are in us. And Paul encountered a runaway named Onesimus while he was in prison in Rome around A.D. 62. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Now, slavery was a widespread problem in this area, but it was much different than American slavery. Slaves could be doctors and musicians and librarians and accountants. And as much as one-third of the population at that time uh, were slaves or bond servants is another way to, uh, to word that. In the era this book was written, the relationship between the master and slave was lenient. And masters often would teach uh, those bond servants, those slaves, a trade and even become friends with them. And uh, slaves and bond servants eventually could purchased their own freedom, but many times they didn't. Uh, some even became rich and well-off and decided not to purchase their freedom uh, because of the stability and assured care and provision. Well, Nesimus was a bondservant to a man named Philemon. And Philemon was well-to-do. He was a wealthy Roman citizen from Colossae, who likely met Paul during Paul's missionary work in Ephesus. And this led to Philemon becoming a follower of Christ. And later, one of Paul's co-workers, Epaphras, went and started a Jesus community, a church in Colossae, and Philemon became the leader of a church that met in his house. So we have this whole story unfolding of how all these people knew each other. But see, Onesimus was, had wronged Philemon in some way. And maybe it was a theft, or maybe he hurt him in some other way. Scholars uh, perhaps say that he stole from Philemon in his escape. And uh, he, he, from slavery, he ran away. And Onesimus is now on the run. Onesimus flees uh, the area and heads to Rome, most likely to hide in this bustling city, this sea of people that live there. But eventually, Onesimus finds out that life as a runaway isn't all that he had hoped it would be. He realizes his problems weren't just around him, they were in him. Most likely, he ran out of money. He was probably homeless, starving in this bustling city of Rome. And much like the prodigal son, I imagine he came to the realization that the grass isn't always greener. 
and that running away doesn't fix our problems. So Onesimus tracks down Paul, knowing that Paul knows Philemon. And he hoped that Paul could mend the relationship between uh, Onesimus, the bondservant, and Philemon, the master. And looking for a solution to his physical needs, Onesimus instead finds the answer to his spiritual needs. See, Paul was able to win Onesimus to Christ while Paul was in prison, and he, he had visited Paul. And Onesimus became a believer and a disciple of Christ and a close friend to Paul. But now Paul finds himself in a difficult position, and he writes this letter to convince Philemon to forgive Onesimus and embrace him as a brother and not a slave. And that's a big ask. That's unheard of in this time. Have you ever had somebody do that where it's like you saw them do something, you're like, hey, look, dude, people just don't do that. You're not, you're not supposed to do that. And that's what Paul was attempting, some radical reconciliation, forgiveness without retribution, and even further than just forgiveness, but embracing the guilty party as family. See, rather than attack the social reform of slavery and confusing the message with politics or insurrection that would be crushed by the Roman government, the gospel instead speaks to the heart of the masters and slaves by emphasizing spiritual equality and worth that they share. And Paul instead urges Philemon to be an example of how a believer should approach the counterculture idea that slaves should be free and that the worth and value that every human being has. So Paul sits down in prison, and he writes this letter to Philemon. He's in Rome, and he tries to mend this relationship between two fellow believers. They're in prison. Let's just picture that for a moment, right? If I'm Paul, I'm thinking to myself, hey, look, dude, I'm in prison. I know you have problems, but I have my own problems. I have enough on my own plate. Onesimus, you got yourself into this position. You figure it out. I've got too much on my plate. I just don't have the bandwidth right now to solve your problems. I've got, I'm in prison, Onesimus, but I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you, right? That's our Christian catch-all for everything. That means I don't really want to do something, but I'll act like I'm going to do something, right? Because, see, what we don't realize is often... We use those perfect four little words to help us feel like we're helping people even when we don't want to do the obvious thing to help people. It's like a Christian lifeguard seeing a drowning man at the bottom of the pool and say, I'll pray for you, bro. Hope it gets better. See, sometimes you are the answer to the own problems. That You are the answer to your own prayers for somebody else. And sometimes you realizing that someone has an issue is an opportunity for you to jump into that issue. Now, obviously, prayer is important and prayer works, but sometimes you're your own answer for the prayers for someone else. And sometimes the answer is to jump down into the mess of someone else's life and help them dig out, even when you have your own problems, like Paul did. So Paul jumped in. Instead of sitting around waiting for someone to write a letter to fix his problems, he instead jumps into a runaway Onesimus' problems and got to work. This letter to Philemon is the shortest letter, but Paul packs a punch. So let's look at this letter, what he wrote to Philemon. In verse 1, Paul starts off with a greeting. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy, 
our brother. We see our friend Timothy there again by Paul's side. He says, to Philemon, our beloved worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's clear here, and even in this first greeting, that Paul loved Philemon and that Philemon was a faithful follower to Christ. Verse 4 says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This short book mentions, you've seen already, but it mentions a dozen people in like 20 verses. And we reminded there by this that Paul had these people that are around him, this community that was around him, that was walking uh, through their faith together. And it reminds us that faith, like the choir just sang, faith grows in community. And we share our faith with each other like it talks about. And the knowledge that you have fills in the, the blanks that I have. And Philemon uh, here has energized and refreshed the hearts of fellow Christians with his love and faith towards Jesus. And Philemon had shared his faith walk with those around him, and he shared his home. He even went as far to say, hey, come on, meet in my house. And he shared his life with those around him as well. But next, Paul finally gets to the, the real reason he's writing this letter. He, he, he just approaches the elephant in the room, and the elephant's name is Onesimus. Once again, modeling for us as Christians how we should handle problems. When we have disagreements with each other, we go directly to those people. He says, all right, Philemon, let's talk about this real issue we have here in verse 8. He says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul says, look, I have the authority as an apostle to direct you to do what to do, but I'd rather share with you my heart. And I'd rather uh, walk you through this because real leadership walks people through things when possible. Leadership leads and the word appeal there you see twice uh, in these verse has the idea of calling to one side. Has, did your parents ever do that? Hey, hey, come here, buddy. Sit down for a second. I need to talk. You know, and it wasn't always that when my parents did it or when I do it with my children, it's not always that they're in trouble. Sometimes they just want to talk you through something. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul calls Philemon to his side and says this in verse 11, talking about Onesimus. He says, formerly Onesimus was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul says, look, we both understand who Onesimus was. We both understand what Onesimus did, but this guy has changed. The name Onesimus, this is kind of funny, it literally means useful. So Paul's doing a play on words here. Paul plays on the name and says, look, I know Onesimus is useless, but now because of the gospel, he is useful. He's earning his name again. And Paul said in the verses before, Onesimus has become my son. He isn't the same guy that wronged you. 
See, sending Onesimus back to Philemon was technically going to be a dangerous situation. Philemon, under law, could have had him beaten in prison. It was not a cool time to just say, hey, go back home. But Paul trusted that Philemon would do the right thing. And we see that in verse 12. He says, I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. See, Paul wasn't scared to get close to people. Paul wasn't scared to put his heart out there for someone who probably didn't deserve it. He wasn't scared to give someone a second chance. He says, look, I'm going to send uh, Onesimus back to you, and he is my very heart. Because I know that he, I'm sending him back because I know that he needs to get things right between you because followers of Christ reconcile. Followers of Christ don't hold things against each other. But remember, this kid has my heart. Verse 13, he says, I'd been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Paul says, I would have loved to keep Onesimus with me, but he needs to reconcile with you, and I'm sending Onesimus with, to you with this letter. And I wanted to give you a chance to do the right thing on your own, namely forgiving Onesimus and welcoming him back as family. Do you ever find yourself uh, in a position where you decide what others are going to do before you give them a chance to do it? I know that I've done that before. Oh, man, they're going to say no if I ask them this, so I'm just going to forget it. I'm not going to ask him. But Paul here says, look, I'm trusting, I know this is a, a hard situation, but I'm trusting that you're going to do the right thing. See, we can't get stuck assuming that we know what people will do. Give people a chance to do what's right. Verse 15 goes on and says, for this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that, he might, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? See, Paul points Philemon's mind to the fact that maybe this all happened for a reason. Hey, maybe God had something in the works. Maybe God could pull something good out of this situation because Onesimus has already received the gospel through this. There's already one good thing that's happened, and Paul wants to... Point Philemon's mind to that greater fact. Now, he isn't just an employee anymore. He's part of our family. No longer a slave, but a brother. Yeah, you parted ways for a little while, but here is an opportunity that you've gained a brother forever. And next we see Paul puts his neck on the line for Onesimus. He says, if you think of me as your partner and friend, receive him like you receive me. Now, Paul had had somebody do that for him before. Paul, years ago, had someone stick his neck out for him like he was sticking his neck out for Onesimus. See, back in the beginning, uh, Paul didn't start off as a Christian. Paul was a Jesus-hating murderer that would find believers in Christ and would have them stoned to death. That's who Paul was. Then Paul encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. But then Paul wanted to join the church. Imagine what that's like. You know, you've got a, a murderer in Clarksburg, and, and he's killing Christians. And all of a sudden, he gets saved, and, and uh, Brother Allen brings him in back here and says, hey, this guy wants to join the church. Wait a minute. I don't know. 
I think this is a trick. He's trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He's trying to get close to us. I don't think so. I don't trust this guy. He's not as slick as he thinks he is, right? They didn't accept him. But Barnabas spent some time with him. Barnabas went and met with Paul and sat with him, listened to his story. And Barnabas did the same thing that Paul did. He comes back to the church and says, hey, look, receive him like you would receive me. And Paul is attempting to reconcile Onesimus and Philemon. He says, if he's wronged you, in verse 18, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Paul says, look, whatever Onesimus stole, however he did you wrong, I don't even know what the amount is, but put that on my account. I will repay it. He says, look, I could say, look, Philemon, you owe me one, but I'm not going to do that. I'll cover the cost of Onesimus' mistakes. And then Paul ends the letter, confident that Philemon will go above and beyond to restore this relationship. Now, although we can't be sure what happened because the Bible doesn't tell us, but tradition tells us that Philemon completely forgave Onesimus and that Onesimus later on went on to replace Timothy as the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Once again, I don't know that that's true, but I'm going to believe it's true because I think it sounds pretty cool, right? Isn't that awesome? That radical reconciliation. The smallest letter that Paul wrote packs a punch. This story of people coming together. Paul jumps into a messy situation and he volunteers to absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing, saying, charge it to me, I will pay for it. Paul will pay the cost so that Onesimus can be reconciled to Philemon. Does it sound like anybody else to you? Have you heard this story before? Right? Paul literally acts out the gospel right here. He does it. He walks into a situation where two parties are in disagreement and he comes between them. Eli, can you help me real quick? Jordan, can you help me? That's what happens when you sit in the front. Just come up here on the stage. So we've got two parties. We've got Onesimus and we've got Philemon. At least I made you the, not the bond servant, right? Here, hold my hand. It's not okay. It's okay. So what Paul is doing is he jumps into this messy situation. These two people are upset at each other. They've got something between him. This guy did this guy wrong. But Paul jumps in and he says, I know Onesimus has made mistakes, but look at me instead of looking at him. Charge it to me instead of holding it against him. And he bridges the gap. And he jumps in and he covers the cost to reconcile a slave to a master. No longer a slave, but part of a family. I just want to see how long they'll hold hands before they get it. <laughs> that is what Jesus did for us. He bridged the gap. He brought two parties together. He reconciled us to God. When we had uh, all the reason to run away from God because of all our sin, we didn't feel like we were good enough. See, the thing about this story, and it's perhaps my 
greatest and my favorite book of the Bible. One, because it's super short and that's about my level of uh, intelligence. That helps me out. I can comprehend it all. And two, because I was that runaway. I was that runaway. I ran a hundred miles away from my master. I wronged my master. But then Jesus jumped in to a messy situation with no regard to his safety. And he volunteers to absorb the consequences of my wrongdoing. And he said, charge it to me. I will pay for it. Jesus paid the cost so that we could be reconciled to God. And now, Jesus passed on the ministry of reconciliation to us. 1 Corinthians 5.17 See, reconciliation is a financial term, and it means settling a debt and making things right. Barnabas had reconciled Paul to the church. Paul is attempting to reconcile Onesimus to Philemon. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God reconciled us to himself, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This was always God's plan. God was in on it, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal. There's that word again we talked about earlier. Making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Because we've been radically reconciled, because you today, not because of any amount of good that you've ever done, are headed to heaven instead of hell, because you've taken advantage of that reconciliation, now it's your responsibility to go and find runaways and reconcile them to God. It's your message now. We've got to go and find those runaways, those that have Chase the allure of this world and have realized that those things that were just mirages, they actually didn't fill them in any way. They've lost hope. We need to find those suffering, those that are forgotten and those that have suffered injustice. They need someone to step into their mess, not just say, hey, I'll pray for you, but they'll get in between the situation and they'll get a little bit awkward And they'll have hard conversations with people to reconcile them, to bring them back to God. They need to know that Jesus absorbed the consequences of their wrongdoing. They need someone to step into the mess and stand with them and work out radical reconciliation for them. They need to know that Jesus paid the cost so that they could be reconciled to God and that they can become no longer slaves but part of the family of God. 
See, Jesus gave the example of radical reconciliation, and then he gave us the ministry and message of reconciliation, and now we must go and tell every runaway that they can be reconciled to God and that Jesus is willing to cover the cost. Have you ever gone out to eat with somebody and you knew they were paying and you invited someone else? Hey, this guy's paying, man. We should, we should jump in this situation over here. And that's it. Jesus covers the cost and we invite people into it. That is our mission, church. That is who we are. That's why we're not in heaven right now. We're here working out radical reconciliation and finding those runaways. Now, runaways come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes that runaway is your boss. Sometimes it's the popular girl in school. Sometimes it's a neighbor that you can't stand. Sometimes it's the person at church that's always here. We used to sing a song uh, at, when I grew up, and it went like this. The drunk on the street, the rich in the palaces, the poor and unlearned, and the man of degree, they all have a soul in need of forgiveness. And they all have to come by Calvary. Well, I am so glad God saves old sinners. I'm thrilled and amazed that he sets them free. But the biggest surprise in redeeming old sinners is that he would save an old sinner like me. That's it right there. That's it. That radical reconciliation, going and finding those people and bringing them back to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, speak out for those that cannot speak. That is the very least the Bible requires of us. Speak out for those that cannot speak. See, Paul had plenty of reasons to say, sorry, Onesimus, you got yourself into this position. It's on you. I've kind of got my own problems. I've got my own stuff going on. You figure it out. So here's the question, and I'm done. Are you ready to jump into someone else's messy situation? Are you ready this morning to take part in radical reconciliation? Are you that runaway? Remember, your problems are not just around you. They are in you. And Jesus is the answer. Let's stand on our feet as the worship team comes. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. You got two options today. Either you're a runaway, and that's awesome because that's an opportunity for God to show out to show up or if you're not a runaway today that means it's your job it's your ministry it's your message to go and find runaways there is no in between there is no well uh, this message didn't apply to me today it's one of those two things either today you're running away from God or two it's your job to go find those that are running away from God the altar's open this morning.
Once again, this isn't a magical place. You can pray in your, in your pew. You can come down to the altar. Whatever God speaks to your heart about. We never want to get it to the place where we just come to church and we just listen intently and we go home and never learn anything. Today, this message was to you. It was to me. And what's the action that follows after? After. 